Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. The Civil War affected those on the home front as well as on the battlefield, but we don't as often hear the voices of those who kept the home fires burning. Nanny Haskins, Sarepta Jordan, and Sarah Kennedy, all from Middle Tennessee, suffered wartime trials and tragedies like millions of other women. But thanks to a team of scholars working with the Voices of the Civil War series from University of Tennessee Press, we can now share those experiences through their diaries and letters. We'll talk with Professor Manoa Uffelman, one of the co-editors of The Civil War Letters of Sarah Kennedy, Life Under Occupation in the Upper South. That's tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you as is usually the case from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, but not speaking for the pirates of ECU or anybody else, just for myself, and our guest likewise speaks only for herself, as we always do here. Well, it's the last show for September 2023, our 20th season here at Civil War Talk Radio. And ooh, we, the Pirates, are celebrating. We won our football game against Gardner Webb 44 to nothing last Saturday. Gardner Webb, you say, aren't they an FCS team, uh, what we used to call Division II or uh, a much smaller school? Yes, they are. But after going 0-3, we were ready to beat anybody. If we'd played Little Sisters of the Poor, we'd be celebrating a 4-4-0 win. The Pirate fan base has gone from abject despair to unmerited elation overnight. Uh, overreaction is the order of the day. Uh, and I'm sharing in that, so that's okay. My other team, Michigan, is still winning, but we haven't played anybody yet. I, I went to the ECU game this Saturday, and... Uh, Brave the tropical storm that swept through the eastern part of the country. I hope you were not flooded out if you were in the path of, of this most recent storm, which went up much of the east coast. There was a lot of flooding uh, temporary around here, including the parking lot where I usually park my car, uh, which is colloquially known as the flood lot, because during uh, Hurricane, what was the big one, Hurricane Floyd, some 20-plus years ago, it was completely underwater. I've been here 20 years and never seen it flood, but it did this week. Uh, there, It was about three feet deep across the entire parking lot, and uh, quite impressive. Apparently, there was actually a lake there 100 years ago where the parking lot and, and the uh, science and technology building are today on campus. 
uh, it was all a, a, a lake. The students would sail boats on it and so on. Uh, that's all been changed. Now they use the parking lot for tailgating on football Saturdays, but not this week. Three feet of water uh, ended that. Not too many fans came to the game, which was nice. The lines were short, uh, had a very pleasant time, and and we won. Uh, I had more fun doing that than I did teaching uh, yesterday here at ECU because the other thing in, in ECU infrastructure news, and I know you're all holding your breath waiting to hear what's happening on campus. Here at the Brewster Building, there is a project to renovate the courtyard. The Brewster Building is a quadrangle of four wings with a ugly cement courtyard in the middle. And there's been a project going on that was supposed to be done before the semester started in August. Well, if you you know, had work done in your house, uh, you know how those things go. Didn't get done in time. And now, be, rather than fire up the jackhammers and make it impossible to teach, the crew is only working during the 15 minutes between classes, uh, or, or they start up again in the late afternoon at 3 o'clock. Unfortunately, yesterday I was teaching a class that started at 2 and went past 3 o'clock, and uh, they didn't even wait till three. They were at it by two fifteen, right outside our window. Uh, and even so, they're not going to finish till Christmas. The way they're they're going, somebody has goofed up somewhere. But uh, but who knows? When they finish, it will be nice. There are these curved paths they're putting in. It looks like possibly a roller derby track. That's my hope. But maybe it's just for walking on. We'll have to see. There are other things happening on campus, but that's not what we're here to talk about. A uh, quick word about who will be here next week at Civil War Talk Radio. Uh, on October 4th, our first show of the new month, we'll be talking about the 8th Minnesota. Uh, Paul Hodnafield, I hope I'm saying it right, has written a book called Sherman's Wood Ticks, The Adventures, Ordeals, and Travels of the 8th Minnesota Volunteer Infantry During the Civil War. We won't have a live show on the 11th of October. It is time to go over this hallowed ground unless there is a federal government shutdown. If that happens, we won't be able to go on the tour because most of the sites we visit are federal National Park Service sites, and if they're closed, there's no tour. Uh, so we're all crossing our fingers that, that cooler heads prevail in Washington and they keep the government open. Um if, if there is a shutdown, well, maybe I'll just come here and complain about uh, things for an hour. You can enjoy that. Uh, more likely, we'll, we'll just skip it anyway. We'll come back on the 18th of October with Gene Harmon of Inheriting Heritage, LLC, to talk about public history. And we'll finish the month with Judith Sumner and her book, Plants in the Civil War, A Botanical History. Well, our guest tonight, uh, Professor Noah D. Uffelman, is the co-author of the brand new book, The Civil War Letters of Sarah Kennedy. Uh, she's a co-editor along with Phyllis Smith and Ellen Canervo, and uh, together with them has, has produced several books on of Civil War primary sources. Uh, when she's not doing this, she teaches at Austin P. State University in Clarksville, Tennessee, Tennessee. Uh, Manoa, are you there? It, it's good to hear from you again. Uh, you and I last talked in person many years ago at a conference, and I can't remember which conference it was. Uh, is your memory better than mine? Do you recall uh, when we, we I met? I remember, yeah, I think we met at a Civil War of um, Society of Civil War Historians conference, and I think... That's um, right. Yeah, I think we were sitting at a dinner or a lunch, and someone introduced exactly. us, and, and we became Facebook friends, and uh, right. I've been friends with you on Facebook ever since, and I look today, and we have quite a few mutual historian friends. Yes, well, it, it, it your name comes up regularly in seeing the publications you've had, uh, uh, and, and I'm glad we've got a chance now to talk about your work tonight. The uh, This Voices of the Civil War series you've you've produced uh, you and your your cohorts have produced three works in this series as i understand it along with the letters of sarah kennedy that we'll talk about tonight we can also talk about uh Sarepta jordan and nanny haskins and their diaries uh but first let me say i i, I see that 
the previous two works are edited by the same three, uh, you and Phyllis yeah. Smith and Ellen Canervo, um, uh, plus uh, Eleanor Williams. And I, I looked her up and I saw uh, that, that she passed away uh, at the age of 92 just last month. So please accept my condolences. Thank you. It, it was very sad. She was the Montgomery County, Tennessee historian, and she just had so much knowledge. She was a pleasure to work with, so thank you. Well, it, it, it was wonderful that she got to contribute to these volumes and, and bring us these, uh, these women from, from your area. Let me ask a technical question about putting works together as a team. Uh, most historians write single-author monographs. Occasionally, we co-author with someone. Uh, the idea of four people working on a project together, <laughs> I can't conceive of it. How did that work? It really did work out. We were very compatible. We were uh, very collaborative, and we brought to it uh, the we brought different strengths. Eleanor was already the Montgomery County historian, so her her depth of knowledge of local history and the family names and the places. She had that. Um, Phyllis Smith uh, is a Civil War expert, and she was at the time a Civil War reenactor, and she just had vast knowledge of the the battles. I came in with the uh, uh, history, the, you know, the knowing all the secondary sources. And then mm-hmm. um, Ellen was um, a communications journalism professor, and she was really good at tracking down the family connections and the genealogy. So between all of us, we just worked together, and we are still working together because Phyllis uh, and Ellen and I have started another project. So um, we're working on another set of Civil War letters from here in Clarksville. And I will say we are very blessed that there's so much material here in Clarksville, Tennessee, because the three different uh, books that we edited, the women's stories, they all lived within five to six miles of each other, but because of their status, uh, their economic status, their marital status, their uh, age, uh, they lived very, very different experiences. So it's, it's really nice when you look at all the the uh, their they're the stories together collectively, you can see there is no one women in the Civil War experience that that they all experienced the war in different ways. It, is Clarksville the Clarksville area unique in having such rich uh, amount of collections of of primary source material about women from the Civil War era? It seems to be. Um, Two of the uh, collections are in TSLA, Nanny Haskins, which is the Tennessee State Library and Archives. Uh, part mm-hmm. of Nanny Haskins is at uh, Chapel Hill. Um, but uh, I guess and we do have archives and we have museum, uh, museum and, and there's a great deal of interest here in Montgomery County. I mean, certainly a lot happened there. It's obviously in the heart of uh, Civil War country and in northern central Tennessee. Uh, so there's a lot for these women to experience. Most of their writing takes place after uh, uh, after the, the federal army has occupied that part of the country. So they're, they're writing from a Confederate city that's behind Union lines. Uh, I guess that's, that's right. another thing yes. that makes it... I would say it makes it unique, but but different. Uh, it, it certainly they they all respond differently to the Union occupation. Well, I will say they all hated the Union soldiers, so that is one thing <laughs> they, they had in common. <laughs> yes, no. well, actually, Sarepta Jordan's diary begins in '54. I mean, excuse me, '57. So we get the build up to the war, which is interesting, and then um, Sarah's letters are just. During the war, and then Nanny Haskins, she has a section of her uh, diary that begins in '63, but she recaps Fort Camp, I mean Fort Donaldson falling, and then she has another section of her diary that goes up to 1890. So uh, we get before, during, and after. Now, when I first saw the collection, especially uh, seeing Kennedy is, uh, you know, married. 
to a, a man who's a banker and relatively well off. And uh, Haskins is from an elite family. She, she's a teenager, but brought up in, in style. And I, I started having the same questions I had about Victoria Ott's book on Confederate daughters, which is the the phenomenon I call the the the, the streetlight with my students when the the old joke about the the drunk person looking for his keys that he dropped and he's looking under the street light and you go to ask him can i help you yeah i dropped him down the street well why are you looking here well the light's much better here um in other words the sources are much better for the elites so let's just look for all our answers where the elite people are uh, but disrupted jordan kind of undercuts that i just want to tell the joke uh because you do look at someone from from <laughs> From, from not well, it necessarily. Was a good, it was a good joke. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to stop here because we're, it's time to take a break, and we'll 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 stop with a big rim shot, uh, and come back in just a moment. Talking tonight with Professor Manoa D. Uffelman. She is the co-editor of the Civil War Letters of Sarah Kennedy and other volumes of primary sources of Confederate women. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P. O W I C Z G at ECU dot EDU. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Manoa D. Uffelman, co editor of The Civil War Letters of Sarah Kennedy Life Under Occupation in the Upper South. Uh, so, Manoa, I do want to talk or anytime it's relevant bring up any of the the books that you've co-edited but i want to start with with sarah kennedy's book in part because uh, it's the most recent just published this year and uh listeners will will hopefully be able to uh find copies of it easily she uh well who was she let, let, let's just get a bit of her basic background uh married uh single children uh, yes, she was married, and she was. Her husband was very, very prominent, and they were they were pretty well off. He had been a very successful businessman. Uh, then he uh, founded a bank, and they owned. They had several enslaved people. They had a nice big brick house right downtown, and so they were very prominent in town. Um, he, they had been married about 18 years when the war started. She had been orphaned. She grew up in, um, she had been orphaned as a young girl in Mississippi where she was, had grown up. And then she moved to Clarksville to live with her maternal uncle. And that's why she moved to Clarksville. Um, 
she sadly had buried three of her children within a two-year period and then immediately began to have more children. And um, she had six children, six young children when the war started. So she is, he's, he had volunteered to be in the Confederate government um, in the Department of Treasury, and uh, he left. And so she was managing the house and the enslaved people, and uh, she, she was very busy she, holding everything together. So her husband went off. He, it was a little unclear as I was reading. Is it was he at one point serving in a regiment in the 49th Tennessee, or was he? I mean, he's older than the average soldier. Was he actually in the army or just with the army? He was. He was. He was not in the army, and trying to pin down what he did during the war was a bit vague. He, uh, we know, we have, we only have the letters that she wrote to him, and we don't have his letters back to her. And uh, she didn't keep the envelopes, so we don't know where he was. Cut, he was was so it took. It was really hard to pin down where he was, and um, then when. He was so prominent. There were a lot of biographies written about him, and and he uh, he would be very very detailed about all the different commissions he was on and offices he had served and all these sort of things. But he was also rather vague about what happened during the war. But um, hmm. so we don't really know. It seems as if he was loosely connected to where the Tennessee Forty Ninth was traveling and uh he also seems to be down in mississippi quite a bit because she'll send regards to her relatives down in mississippi and then we know at one point he was in chattanooga because she's she said something about that so it was kind of hard to pin down where he was when we we really tried it it's interesting that his letters didn't survive because normally it's the other way around. We have the soldiers' letters home, and the home folks kept them and cherished them. But the letters women wrote to the front would be lost. The men couldn't carry them in their 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 knapsacks. They would, you know, be abandoned or or they they wouldn't be preserved in the same way. But this time it's the other way. We've got the letters from the home front, uh, but not two. So that's that's uh, one of the unique things about this book. The, exactly. It, it, let me ask this question about letters. Um, uh, Angela Elder was on the show a few weeks ago with her new book on Confederate widows, for which she read lots and lots of letters between husbands and wives, uh, bending with the death of the husband, unfortunately, which must have been a, a, a stressful research project. Uh but I asked her this question, and I'll ask you, uh, how did it feel reading the the private mail of a, a married couple uh, that was not written for, for my eyes or yours? Well, that is true. It is weird. But, you know, it's the same thing when you're reading the diary, because true. diaries – so um, – yeah, you're like reading other people's. Yeah, you're getting into their business. You're trying to figure things out. <laughs> um, and she, she, her letters—they're really informative. And all three of the the women that I edited, they mm-hmm. were very highly educated, and so that and that was that was it, it makes it a lot easier because they just they're well they were highly educated. The diaries mm-hmm. are harder to edit because they're not written for for anybody to read, whereas the letters are a lot easier because she is writing them and editing them and she's herself because she knows her husband's going to read them. And they follow a formula because she'll give uh, news of the children and the family and news of who's sick. And there's there's always somebody sick, including herself. Um, Labor, she talks about finances because she's managing this big household. She manages, she, she about to do with the enslaved people. So she, um, they're very, very informative of what's going on on the home front, and uh, they give us a great deal of insight. They do. So, they, they certainly do talk a lot about health. Uh, uh, they do, and they're always uh, sick. And one time she even says uh, she lost 40 pounds. 
Yes. Um, she actually, and she had the six kids, and one of them was special needs. And so she agonizes over him and his seizures and how to deal with him. And we know, we finally found him. We know he was put into what they called an insane asylum. And uh, he died in, in that uh, institution. So, um, but she's trying just desperately to take care of him and to do what's right for him. And uh, she's trying to educate her, her children. One daughter's really good with music, so she wants to um, get her piano lessons and, and, and educate her in that way and get her. Uh, so she's just um, managing, and they have rental properties. So she's. She's doing it all. She's finan- She's doing the finances. She's managing the house and uh, the children and the education and the enslaved. She's um, she's doing it all. You know, it, it's it would be, of course, wonderful if we had the husband's letters back. But I have the impression reading these that she she's not asking for a lot of advice. It kind of stands out once or twice when she does. But it sounds like she's managing all this. On her own, and and she doesn't uh, uh, she doesn't need any advice. She she's going to do what she's going to do. There's a couple of places where she tells him the advice she's gotten from some of his friends and their friends, and ask his advice, and then she takes all this advice, and then she does what she thinks is best. And I, I kind of like that about her. Yeah, she, she's but very. She and she loved her husband. I mean, she just adored him. Um, so um, this is this is the only insight we have to this little uh, chapter of their life because he's in the newspaper all the time, and it's all the business and the banking and the commissions. And um, he actually um, he was the ringleader and got the Confederate monument in Greenwood Cemetery here in Clarksville. Um, and he predated the United Daughters of the Confederacy, so he 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 made that happen. Uh, he made he he built the he built the whole cemetery, and then put the Confederate monument in it. So um, he was quite impressive. So we can pin together a lot of things about their life after the war, but it's because of his name in the newspaper, mm. not her name. Except no, when she you, dies, there's a nice obituary. And Trey, you quote that old saying, a, a lady, a proper lady's name should appear in the paper three times, birth, marriage, and death, uh, yeah. and, and no more than that. And and so we don't know much from, as you say, from, from that stories about her at the time. Uh, but when you say th- that you know, she adored her husband, that she loved him deeply, I, I, I don't doubt that, but I, I'm struck by the, the, the expressions of it. Um, uh, I, I wrote one in my notes here. I feel more keenly the loss of your society. Um, I'm thinking of using that next time my wife takes her students overseas <laughs> on a, a trip and she's gone. I'm gonna write, I'll, I'll text she, that to her. And she always uh, calls him the, pre, the presiding genius. And to my modern ears, that sounds like sarcasm. But that is not yeah. what she meant. She, she meant it. But but there's there's and again maybe this is in comparison with the uh, uh, the Confederate widows book uh, Professor Elder's book that just came out in which a lot she looked at, at dozens maybe hundreds of of these uh, recently widowed women and some of their their and they're all from different social classes and different education levels so some of them. Have, describe their love for each other much more graphically. Um, and they're much younger, too. You, you point out that this couple's been married 18 years when the war starts. Um, but it, 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 it's, a, it's a very proper mm-hmm. form. Yeah. It, 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 but but you, you, your view of it is they, they were sincere. They were, they were committed to each other. I really do think they were sincere. And when they had their 50th wedding anniversary, he was so prominent. There is just an amazingly long story in the in the front page of the newspaper about them having their 50th. And, and they, he, they print the speech he made. And I made the comparison. It sounds like he's delivering a speech at the bank board. It, it doesn't sound very <laughs> romantic, but he's giving her... All the credit, and he and they were such partners, and 
you know, they really did suffer a lot of loss. Um, True. The one of the little girls, the, the daughter that died, she she um, caught her clothes on fire playing with a candle, and she oh. lingered a day or two, and then she died. So that was just um, a tragic. Not that the other losses were tragic. This is the one we know about because it's in the paper. Right. The other two, uh, we just know that they died because the death notice was in the paper. Well, let me turn to a, a, a maybe a less uh, a sympathetic part of, of the story. Uh, and, and you deal with it very frankly in the introduction and, and in your annotations. Uh, the, the Kennedys were slaveholders. And throughout, as the letters go on, we read of more and more of the enslaved people leaving. The Emancipation Proclamation is announced. Um, uh, people just take their leave, and, and Sarah Kennedy is left to uh, to manage the household by herself, or just with uh, Aunt Lucy, as she called her, uh, one one remaining uh, and enslaved worker. I, I was reminded, uh, and and you point this out, the to- her tone becomes harsher. Uh, initially, mm-hmm. they are referred to as servants or darkies, and then then we start to hear that word uh, used to describe yeah. them. It reminded me of Mrs. Ald in, in Frederick Douglass's life story, uh, the, the Baltimore woman who's an angel when he meets her, but slavery corrupts her and makes her uh, a harsher person. Did, did it have the same effect on Sarah Kennedy? Yeah, it's just, it's hard when you're reading. You, there's sections of these diaries and the letters in which you just feel for them because there's this universal loss, there's universal love. And then the next thing you read is the attitude toward their enslaved, and you just it makes uh, it's just chilling. And yet it's the same woman in the same letter or the same diary entry. So um, yes, it's it's hard to, to to read that part because as 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 the mastery of slavery is breaking down. Uh, she knows their problems, and she's trying to maximize their labor. She's mm-hmm. debating whether trying to sell them and try to maximize getting a little bit out of them. Um, one of the men hires himself out to the quartermaster, and she toys with the idea of trying to get his wages um, that he's he's earned, that she is entitled to him because they are his his. She he's the slave. She's the she owner. Right. She needs. So she is she she turns very cold hearted and calculating at the end. And then you and that's what I, I that's one of my favorite parts of the whole book in the letters is you see the breakdown of slavery in real time. And mm-hmm. she writes about it. She writes about their attitudes. She writes about some uh, the couple of conversations where she actually writes the words they say. So we get insight into um, these people's uh, motivations. Now, some of them just slip out in, the, in mm-hmm. the night. You know, she wakes up and they're gone. But then they start, she says, I hear they went to St. Louis, or I hear they're in Nashville. So it, that becomes obvious that there's this network of people talking about where mm-hmm. the newly freed people have gone, which I thought that was fascinating, too. Uh, that, that the effort she makes to replace their labor I, it was another thing I, I liked she tries hiring uh, says some free people she tries hiring uh, white girls uh, she ends up hires a contraband once she, she says you know a, a recently freed uh, enslaved person and none of them work out uh, no uh, you know you just can't get good help in 1864 apparently in, in Clarksville uh well, there are so many interesting things in this book. We're going to take another short break. Uh, we are talking tonight with Manoa D. Uffelman. She's the co-editor, along with Phyllis Smith and Ellen Canervo, of the recently published book, The Civil War Letters of Sarah Kennedy, Life Under Occupation in the Upper South. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Manoa D. Uffelman, co-editor of The Civil War Letters of Sarah Kennedy, Life Under Occupation in the Upper South. We've been talking about this new book from, uh, it's in the Voices of the Civil War series, uh, published by the University of Tennessee Press. It is uh, not the first book that uh, Professor Uffelman and her colleagues, Phyllis Smith and Ellen Canervo, have co-edited. There are two others, and uh, I do want to talk about uh, at least one of them, the, the Diary of Nanny Haskins. I had the opportunity to uh, read the online version of that from our library here, and uh, or at least to to skim it. I, I I didn't get to read it as I got to read the Kennedy letters, um, but looking through it, I was struck by both similarities and differences. Uh, and the number one difference to me that leaped off the page was uh, that Nanny Haskins is is a teenager. And uh, you yeah. know Sarah Kennedy's married 18 years. Uh, she's a mature woman, running a household. Uh, Nanny is much more fun. <laughs> that, that was what still, I took away. Uh, in the, Nanny still she's she's interested in boys. Uh huh. Nanny Haskins. I think your your readers will know her because of the Ken Burns series. And right. uh, when when we first started working on it, we'd be like, "Oh, I love love that part of the Ken Burns series." So, um, so yes, she is still. It's interesting that looking at these three works, you can see that people are affected directly by their stage of life. So she's a, she's a teenager, and yes, her two brothers have gone off. Uh, to war. One was captured at Fort Donaldson and died in a POW camp. One was captured at Gettysburg and was at a camp. Uh, he does end up coming home. Um, but yet, while this is going on, uh, she is going to dances. She is performing in a recital. She's having her pictures made to share with a young man. And when she likes a young man at a, at a dance or a party, she, she will say, he was very intelligent. Um, so, yes. And then, then um, an older cousin of hers, like a second cousin, um, he's almost 20 years older than her. Toward the end of, of that part of the diary, he comes courting. His wife had just died and had four young children, and they start seeing or courting and whatever. <laughs> they started courting, and they end up right. getting married. So she is the stepmother to those four children, and she has six more children. So she's raising six, she's raising ten children after the war. So when you get to the second part of that diary, 
her life is very much like Sarah Kennedy's letter life mm-hmm. because she's reached that point where that she's she's trying to get all these kids educated and get them ready to leave and go out in the world. So their war years were very different, but the last stage of their lives were not that different. No, that's a. It- it's wonderful to have that that resource to have the the diary that extends over such a period of time that we can see that change because uh, during the war years uh, you know as, as you say as a teenager she's still behaving like when you mentioned dancing that uh, her mother gives her uh, some grief about that because she's she's actually still wearing black for her brother who died as a POW as you just said and she goes to a exactly. party she thinks it's going to be just a I guess sit and talk party, but there's dancing, and uh, I'm guessing a lot of listeners are remembering the scene in Gone with the Wind, where uh, uh, yeah, you, you know, Scarlet is is at the the fundraiser, and she's not supposed to be dancing. She's in black for a guy she doesn't even know, uh, but underneath her skirt, she's dancing away because she wants to be out there. Well, uh, Manny, she's out there on the dance floor, and. Uh, uh, swirling the black dress around, quite different. Um, in contrast, uh, let me ask about Surrupted Jordan's diary. And I, I didn't read this one, so I can't uh, ask specifically, but, but from references in the introduction, I gather, uh, she's not from the same social world as the other two. No, we don't know a lot about what happened. We know that her... Um Father died either when she before she was born or soon thereafter. Uh, we found her will, his will, and we know that that uh, in that she had uh, she was a, she had a tutor that his when his, that she had a tutor, so she had a really good education. Then her mother remarries, and her, they move to Kentucky. And then when she's young, her mother dies. And at that point, she uh, moves to Clarksville to live with her maternal aunt, her mother's sister. And so she she doesn't have a close-knit family. She's very close to her aunt that she's living with, but her parents are gone, and she doesn't have money. Uh, one, the one uncle gave her an enslaved girl. So that's another interesting aspect of Sarepta Jordan. Mm. She talks about her slave, Inez, throughout the, uh, the the diary and at the end Inez does become free, but um, yeah she and then the, one of the most tragic things is as the Confederate soldiers are about to go off they've been recruited and they're having this big party and there's a band and everybody's brought food her maternal aunt that she just loved to death literally drops dead she has a stroke and she oh. dies now she's in she's in this home with this man who's her uncle by marriage and he immediately starts courting a woman down the road and that woman doesn't want Sarepta in the house anymore because she wants the house to be her house so um Sarepta just had a lot of grief and she ends up marrying a man 20 years older than her that it's quite obvious she doesn't love him but she does marry him so um and, and her diary is filled with labor, sewing, cooking, all sorts of you just get a big you get to see what it's like to be a working woman uh during that time period. So if any of the people out there listening are interested in female labor, um Sarepta Jordan is, is is the one to go to because you just you see the variety of things she does. Uh, she she had so much energy and she got so much accomplished in the day. She sewed, she cooked, she gardened. She did all, and she kept this massive diary at the same time. Uh, so, you know, Sarah Kennedy certainly does a lot in a managerial sense, but and and is able to keep the household together with one worker. Uh, Nanny Haskins, you get the feeling, has, has not really lifted a finger. Um, no, than, she did you know, not as for, a teenager. She did not have any responsibility. No, yeah. no. So, so now Sarah had Sarah had five or six women, five or six people, uh, enslaved people in the household. 
she had a lot. Of, well, she, she had a lot of help with her labor. Well, I, 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 let me. I didn't speak clearly. You're right. She, she did, but they all they leave one by one. As, as you said, we're oh, watching yes, they, real they time leave, as, yes. as they leave. Yeah. So by the end of the the war, she's she's trying to keep the household together without help, and having to do things herself exactly. that she probably didn't have to do before. Uh, it, it really is exactly. an enlightening thing to to read about. So, can we generalize anything from these three cases about? Women in, in well, I think we can read that there are a lot. There's the gender roles, um, they're very limited in what they can do. Um, when Nanny, Nanny really wants to um, make money because they're in such debt after the war, but there's not many options for her. Um, so, um, yeah, you can see the universal the universality of loving your family, loving your kids. Um, mm-hmm. wanting to find a good marriage, um, and then you can see not getting it uh, when, when in the case of Sarepta. Uh, you can also see connecting the their attitudes toward African Americans and the enslaved. That's all very similar. And then you can see the different stages of life, what, mm-hmm. what their lives are like uh, during the different stages of their lives. Um, but you can see Clarksville is not some backwater. They're, they're very well aware. They're getting, we're on the river, uh, railroads are coming through. So they're getting mm-hmm. lots of information. They're sharing information. Uh, they're commenting on the news. Uh, they all attend church. So they talk about that. So that's some of the things that are similar in, in the three different stories. Uh, Director's pretty funny. She goes to church every Sunday, and then she writes a critique of the um, sermon she just listened to. <laughs> <laughs> now, since they're all contemporaries and in the same place, do they ever show up in each other's writings in any way? They did not travel in the same social circles, and yet they do show up periodically. Uh, Dr. Haskins, huh. Nanny's father, was a physician, and he's talked about some Sarah is very unhappy with Dr. Haskins in one of her entries. She does not like the way that he's treated her daughter, who she has. Uh, she ends up getting a back brace, but Dr. Haskins is like, oh, you, there's nothing you can do. Um, the Rapta has this really, um, she is angry at Mrs. Haskins. Mrs. There's a rivalry because um, Sarepta literally lived across the river to the working class part of town and mm-hmm. Mrs. Haskins before the war travels across the river to try to get the new Providence women. That's where the part of town was the new Providence women to participate in um, the war effort. And Sarep is like, she deigned across the river and she would oh. never speak to us <laughs> other than that. So when I, I just about fell out of my seat when I started reading this, so there are some references to each other, and they're not particularly good. Uh, it, it 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 is it is a wonderful moment though when you're researching and you come across something like that that uh, that, that brings the two together. Um, in the Civil War, women make up fifty percent of the population, approximately than is now been almost every society, uh, but they're still far less than 50% of the writing about the Civil War focuses on women. Uh, you and your colleagues are, are challenging that. Uh, is, it, is it changeable? Is it, can, can you make a dent in the imbalance? I don't know. We are not interested in the operational side of the Civil War, so we're interested in the cultural and the gender issues. So that's our interest, and we've had this um, these rich sources that we've mined and we've we've brought to print, which we're we're proud of. It. We're working on another set of letters, and this was a woman whose husband was in the iron industry, and um, that which was very important in this part of Tennessee, and. Mm-hmm. She was actually a unionist, and oh. they came down from Pennsylvania. So that's the next set of letters that we are working on. So we'll have a whole different uh, experience from her set of letters than these women. Well, that that's something to look forward to. I was definitely going to ask about that next project. Um, we have just about two minutes left. Let me ask a question I often ask guests uh, 
the, the Civil War time machine question. If you could go back to that era for 30 minutes in complete safety and then return, um, who would you want most to spend those 30 minutes with? And I, I, I'm afraid this may be like asking someone who's their favorite child um, out of these, if it's one of these three <laughs> women, which one would you most want to uh, sit down with for 30 minutes? But I'll ask it anyway. That, uh, who, well, who would you talk to? I don't to? know. Uh, it, it is like picking your favorite child. I, I think I would pick Sarepta. Uh, Nanny would be a teenager, and I would not be interested uh, in <laughs> the kind of thing she was interested in in that moment. Um, right. Sarah is pretty interesting, though. She um, might be busy, though. But I think I, I think I would pick Sarepta because her life was, um, it was full in many ways. She... She was very, she worked so hard and she did so much stuff and uh, she persevered and she had such loss and yet she managed to get married and have children. Even if it wasn't a love match, she did have um, children that she adored. So it's, well, listeners, to get a a taste of life in the South, not just in Clarksville, where these women are from, but but many of the lessons are universal. Uh, start with the Civil War letters of Sarah Kennedy, Life Under Occupation in, in the Upper South. Uh, and then check out the journals uh, as well of Nanny Haskins and Sarepta Jordan, all edited by Manoa D. Uffelman, Phyllis Smith, Ellen Canervo, and uh, uh, Eleanor Williams as well. It... We've been talking tonight with uh, Manoa D. Uffelman. Manoa, it's been a pleasure getting to talk to you It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me, and um, I really, really appreciate it. I love telling these women's stories. They are great stories, and listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.